0: Like for you to go with me to God's Word into the New Testament, the very next to last book in the New Testament, the book of Jude. And uh, as we noted last time, it's just 25 verses, but there is so much truth contained in those 25 verses. And uh, as we noted last time, we, we just looked at an introductory glance at this letter. And we saw that this was a comforting letter as Jude began encouraging the believers. And then it became a concerning letter as he began to warn them of the dangers which were before them. We saw that it was also a compelling letter as he wrote in the context of the dangers in which they faced and encouraged them to act and then he closed the letter with a very confident note uh, as he expressed faith and confidence in the lord and may god help us now as we begin to look a little more in depth into this letter and we'll read uh, verse uh, in in the book of jude verses 1 through uh, 7 jude 1 through 7 which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, How that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. As we come to verse number three, we note that Jude, who had expressed his desire to write unto them concerning the common salvation, felt the strong leading of the Spirit of God and the strong urgency of the hour uh, to change course in his letter. And as he said in verse number 3, "'It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints.'" He goes on in verse number four to say, there are certain men crept in unawares. And the thing about these men is that they are men who have come in to a congregation, they have come in to a church professing to be something that they are not, professing to be believers, but they are not believers. Instead, Uh, They are workers of iniquity. They are those who have rejected God's truth. And they are those who are agents of Satan, whether knowingly or unknowingly, who are seeking to circumvent the truth of God's word, who are seeking to corrupt God's church. And so as we look at these verses, we'll take as our theme this morning, the war against truth the war against truth. As Christians who walk in the light of the Scriptures, we understand that we are living in what Paul called perilous times. Uh, We live in an age of deception and falsehood. Uh, We live currently today in an age of apostasy an age of a turning away from the truth. In fact, uh, there are so many questions about what is true and that which has always been held as true. The Word of God is questioned so much by the skeptics and terms are changed and the tables have turned to such degree that now people who believe the truth are called people who have no morality or no values, and if you believe the biblical ethics and biblical truths that we have believed as God's people for thousands of years, uh, you no longer find a place in this current culture. I heard the news uh, this week of a politician who sent out some mail against another candidate. It didn't happen to be in this area was in another state, and the accusation was made that this person used to be employed in a place where the morality of the day, which is the uh, sexual revolution that we are living in today, that, that, that the morality of the day, which calls for anything, right, uh, that the candidate who was running against them did not embrace that in years gone by. Instead, they held to some biblical Christian view of sexual morality. And now that is being used against them to say that they have no values and that people who hold those values could not possibly hold office in America. Boy, the times have changed, have they not? Perilous times. Perilous times. Of course, this is nothing new. Israel experienced ages of apostasy. Hosea the prophet wrote, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Listen, when you take the truth out, you're taking the mercy out. Have you noticed how unmerciful people in our nation are, how vicious, how unkind, how unforgiving our world has become. Friend, when you reject the truth of God's word, you will find mercy goes with it. Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 59, he said, in judgment, the ability to make a decision Judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. And Jeremiah, in his day, wrote these words, Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. And then again in Jeremiah chapter 5, He wrote these words, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? You see, we've come to the time that Paul warned about when people would not endure sound doctrine but have turned uh, away from the truth and heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. And so it's not hard today to find uh, someone who claims to be a Christian, who claims to be a, a member of uh, the clergy who will tell you what you want to hear. And if you can't find it in one place, surely you can find it in the next. And what has happened is we have now arrived in a time in our nation where confusion reigns in the streets. And God is not the author of confusion. You see, there is a war against the truth. It is a a concern. It is a warning that we have been warned about throughout the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ warned his disciples concerning the turning away, the deception that would come. Paul warned Timothy, and he warned uh, the elders in Ephesus. John, in his epistles, uh, warned us of the danger of deception that was coming Peter in second Peter chapter two if you'll just find that little book just a few pages before you come to Jude second Peter chapter number two you'll see that Peter again uh, referring back to the past is warning the people about the future in second Peter chapter two in verse number one he says but there were false prophets also among the people Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. He is warning them about the coming, uh, the rising of the false teachers in the church, and that is a day that we see has come to pass. So throughout the New Testament, there are warnings. But I want you to see as we come to the book of Jude, that Jude is not sounding a warning. He's not issuing a warning to the church Jude is sounding an alarm because no longer do we have to warn about the possibility that they will come. Now Jude is saying they are here. Certain men have crept in unawares. It sounds like Paul Revere in his midnight ride through the Massachusetts colony with the lanterns lit, with the church bells ringing, And with the voices crying out, the British are coming. I want you to know Jude is riding not just simply on a horse through the church age, but he's riding with his pen and he's telling us the enemy is here. The enemy has come. The enemy is waging war against the truth. Now, understanding that we're in that conflict. Jude writes to us and gives us some thoughts this morning about what we should do, and I hope you'll write some things down. First of all, as we hear this warning, we find an exhortation to contend. An exhortation to contend. Here's a command that is given. Earnestly contend, for the faith. I wanted to write to you, he said, about the common salvation. I wanted to talk to you about all of the blessings that we have in the Lord. And that certainly is a wonderful message to hear, is it not? But instead, he says, I have to sound the alarm because the enemy is here. He's crept in. And therefore, church, it is time to awaken. It is time to rise up It is time to quit yourselves like men because the enemy is here. Therefore, we must earnestly contend for the faith. You see, this is a call to battle, a call to battle. It's a call upon Christians to strive for the faith of the gospel, to strive for that which was once Delivered to the saints. Uh, Wiersbe said the faith that Jude is referring to refers to the body of doctrine that was given by God through the apostles to the church. Can I tell you that the message of the gospel and the message of God's word is something that requires that you and I learn to contend for it? It is of vital importance Because our lives and our souls, and more importantly for many of us, the lives and souls of all those that we love depends upon our adherence to the truth of God's word. It is not something to be played with. It is not the subject of some social experience or social experiment. It is the truth's the everlasting, eternal truth of God's Word that God said would never perish, that abides forever, and it changes not. It is not to be meddled with. It is to be contended for, and it is to be contended for by the church of the living God. It is to be contended for by those who name the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. He said, if I tarry long that thou mayest, I want you to know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, in the context of the fellowship of the church. I want you to know when you come together how things are to be done. That's what he's saying. When he speaks of the house of God, he refers to it again in verse 15 as the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Do you know that the truth has been committed to the church? It is the church that is to be founded upon the truth of God's word. It is the true, It is the church, rather, that is to hold up the truth and proclaim the truth Of God's Word. If there is one place that the world should be able to hear and know the truth, it should be among the people of God. It should be found in the house of God. It should be found in the church of God. If we do not have the truth, if we do not proclaim the truth, if we do not live by the truth, then we have nothing to offer this world. And we need to recognize that there is a war against it. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of of science, falsely so called. We are to keep that which is committed to our trust. What has been committed to our trust? The truth of God's word. It has been committed to us, and we are the stewards of the gospel. That's not just the job of the pastor. It is the job of every believer in this church that we would learn to earnestly contend to strive for the truth of the gospel that was once delivered to the saints. But we know little of what it means to contend. We know little of what it means to contend for the faith because, to be honest with you, we find it too difficult to get up and come to church. We find it too difficult to find the time to get in a prayer closet and pray. We find it too difficult to open the pages of God's Word and read them and study them and meditate upon them. How could we ever earnestly contend for the faith if we don't spend any time in it, learning it, meditating on it, proclaiming it to a lost and dying world? You see, it's too tough for us to read the word of God and to tell somebody about Jesus and to lead our families to worship him. How in the world could we ever be expected to earnestly contend? But yet that's what we are expected to do. There's an exhortation for us. There's a call to battle for us. Had you been in that Massachusetts town that night when Paul Revere And the other riders came through and the lights were burning in the windows and the bells in the churches were ringing and the voices were crying out, the British are coming. Had you just decided to sleep comfortably in your bed, it may be that this nation would not be existing today. And while we sleep comfortably in our beds and we find other things to occupy our time on the Lord's day, and when we refuse to pray with our families and read the Word of God and to learn the truths of God's Word, the devil is creeping in. He's coming into our homes through all sorts of avenues and captivating the hearts and minds of our children and carrying them away and distorting the truth and deceiving them and leading them into eternal destruction. I have a question. Is it worth contending for? What's it mean to you? There's an exhortation to contend. And Nehemiah was said to the people in Nehemiah chapter number four, chapter number four and verse number 14, the enemy came against them as they were rebuilding the wall. The people were afraid, and Nehemiah said in verse 14 of chapter 4, and I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight, contend for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. I spent some time recently in a defense class, a self-defense class, and and I learned about about how to protect yourself. I learned about the threats that people face. I learned how to handle certain weapons for self-defense, of course. And I, I noted the passion of the people in that room as they spoke concerning the need to protect your wife and your children and all the danger and all the harm that could befall them. And we live in a dangerous world. But would God that we would have the passion and the the the, the sobriety and the burden to protect our homes from Satan, to protect, to protect the hearts of our children from the devil, to protect our church from false doctrine. There's an exhortation to contend. The second thing I want to give you is an explanation of the danger. There's the exhortation to contend. He says, you need to rise up. The enemy is here. But then he gives them an explanation concerning the danger. You know, as I said in that class recently, and I heard uh, the, the instructors as they taught, to be honest with you, I, I, I felt bad. I, I felt really foolish that I had been so oblivious, although I think I'm an informed person. I thought i have been so oblivious to certain things, and I needed to hear this. I needed to be stirred. I needed to be awakened. I need to know how to defend my family and protect them. I wonder how asleep we are concerning the danger spiritually that comes against us. The Bible says in verse number four, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude cries out, danger, red alert. Ungodly men have crept in. Apostates, now let me, let me explain something to you here. Apostates are not believers who have fallen away. Apostates are those who pretended to be believers, but never were. And the church in this era is full of them. They have big followings. They have large congregations. But it's full of apostates. And we knew this would happen. And so we find here an explanation of the danger. We have to know from where it is coming if we're going to be able to identify it and deal with it now there are three things we learn about this danger first of all they are subtle in their approach notice if you would please there are certain men how do they come what's the word crept in unawares they didn't come in and blow the horn and say here we are The devil didn't come in in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and say, "Here I am." They didn't make themselves appear to be so, uh, so uh, to have such animosity against what we believe when they came. No, they came in and they came in quietly and they came in. The Bible says they crept in, unawares. They are subtle in their approach. Well, that's how the devil works, isn't it? Genesis chapter three and verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You know what the devil did. He didn't come in to scare Eve. He came in as a friend to Eve. He didn't come in with an obnoxious manner. He came in in a sweet way. And he appealed to her, you know, Eve, let's reason this thing out. I mean, God put you in this garden. Why in the world? Why in the world would he tell you not to eat the fruit from that tree? I'll tell you why, Eve, because he knows it's good for you, and you'll be just like him, and you won't have to worship him. We'll all have to worship you, perhaps. And Eve looked at it and said, oh, it looks good, and it would taste good, no doubt. And it's desired to make one wise. You see, he comes in subtly. He creeps in. When Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 29, as he spoke to the Ephesian elders, he said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Here's what he's saying, that the church will have people in it who you won't even know who they are necessarily because they'll look the part, they'll talk the part, but the truth of the matter is they do not know the Lord. And what they're seeking to do is fight against the truth, to pervert the truth, and to change the truth because just like the devil wanted to pull Eve out of the garden, they want to be used to the devil, to pull your children and you away from God's church and God's truth and send you into an eternity if you don't know the Lord in hell. You say, really? I mean, I mean, are you serious? Would people really do that, knowingly and unknowingly? Yes, they would. Just like I might say to the instructor, uh, would people really try to harm me? I mean, honestly. Oh, yes, it happens every day. And oh, yes, if we read the Bible, we see that it happened 6,000 years ago in human history, and we see that it happens every day. The danger is real. They're subtle in their approach. So subtle. Secondly, we see they're similar in their appearance. As I said just a moment ago, they don't come in trying to draw attention to themselves. No, they come in suddenly. They've crept in unawares, and they want to blend in. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, Paul wrote this in verse number 13. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Do you know what Paul had to contend with? He had to contend with men who professed to be apostles but weren't. And they wrote letters, and they tried to get the church to believe that they were apostles, and they contradicted the truth. Do you know who they were? They were agents of Satan. Again, some knowingly, some unknowingly, they were agents of Satan. And so Paul is warning the Corinthian church about them in in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. He says in verse 14, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. They are similar in their appearance. They are subtle in their approach and they are thirdly sensual. In their appetites, they're sensual. They're fleshly. Notice what the Bible says again here in the book of Jude and verse number four. They, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, that means they are not godlike turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now, that's not a word we use every day, lasciviousness. Let me tell you what that word means. It means unbridled. It means unrestrained. The picture is of someone who tears down the fences my uncle used to keep horses and sometimes i would have opportunity to go with him to a sale for livestock or to a farm where horses were and uh, the horses that were not broken yet would be in the corral they would be contained in the fence do you know that in the heart of every man and every woman the horses of the flesh desire to run wild They do. And when you tear down the fences of God's truth, do you know what happens? They get out of the corral, and they begin to run unimpeded all over until finally people are so confused they don't know what constitutes a marriage or a healthy sexual relationship or even what constitutes who a man is, or who a woman is, or what a family is. Did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that we would come to this point in our nation? How did we get here? There were people who turned the grace of God into lasciviousness in other words oh god is a god of love and he is aren't you glad and god is a god of grace and he is aren't you glad and therefore god will accept you and anything you want to do it's okay and there are many false prophets who blow that horn today and there are many who are deceived thereby you see there's an appetite for pride there's an appetite for possessions, there is an appetite for pleasure in this world that cannot be filled, and instead of trying to tell people the truth and turning them to Jesus to to let him satisfy the longing of their soul, remember the woman, remember the woman at the well who had had five husbands and was living with a man who was not her husband, What did the Lord desire to do for her? Not to condemn her, friend, but to save her and to satisfy the longing of her soul. But the message she needed is not, hey, just do what you want to do. No, the message she needed was to repent and believe on Jesus. You see, there's an explanation of the danger here. There's certain men, they've crept in unawares. They're here. They're ungodly. They've turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and they've denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We see, lastly, an examination of the past. An examination of the past. There's an exhortation to contend. It's time to come to battle, church. Church. Christian, husband, wife, earnestly contend. Well, why should I do that? Well, let me give you an explanation of the danger. And then lastly, we see here an examination of the past. And if you want to see how this thing's going to end up in the future, all you have to do is look back to the past. Look, if you would, please, in verse 5. I will therefore put you in, what's the next word, church? Boy, there's some things we need to remember. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Don't forget what you have already learned. Don't forget what has already happened. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of that group of Israelites and that mixed multitude, that's what the Bible calls them, that went out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. And what happened there? That mixed multitude who had seen the power of God did not believe on him. Oh, sure, there were many who did, but there were many who did not. They worshiped their golden calf and they... Turned to idolatry. They lusted for the flesh pots of Egypt. They longed to go back there. They resisted God's leadership in their lives. And when they came to Kadesh Barnea, they said, we cannot go in. And though they had been delivered because of their association with the Lord's people, they were later destroyed because they rejected him you know there's been there's no nation on the history of the earth that's had such a Christian beginning as the United States and everybody who is a citizen of this nation has been blessed and benefited greatly because of the Christian foundation of America. And as imperfect a nation as she is, she's the greatest Christian nation on the face of the earth. And many have benefited from the religious liberty and truth in this land. But though they have benefited, though they have been delivered into freedom, those who turn their back on God will be destroyed. Notice, if you would, in verse 6. Not only does he give the lessons of the people who came out of Egypt, but he gives us the lesson of the angels. Now imagine this. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Now the Bible teaches us that Lucifer... Was the cherub in heaven. And he rebelled against God. And when he did, one third of all the angelic host went with him in the rebellion. They left their first estate. And the Bible says though they were created by the Lord, now they face the condemnation of the Lord because of their rebellion against him. And so there is a warning in this passage for those who know of God and reject him, that judgment is coming. Notice, if you would, in verse number 7, he gives us another illustration here. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example. The Lord said, I want you to look back and see what happened, and I want you to know that what happened to them will happen to all those who had a knowledge of me and an awareness of me and yet openly rejected me. Notice what he says. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, remember when Lot went down to Sodom and the kings of the south came against the kings of Sodom, and they carried the people of Sodom away captive. That's recorded for us in the book of Genesis. Do you know who went after them? And do you know who rescued them? Abraham and his servants. Do you see, because of their association with Lot, And because of Lot's association with Abraham, and because of Abraham's personal relationship with God, God used Abraham to deliver the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah from the captivity of a foreign king. But when we get to chapter number uh, 18 and 19, what do we find? Do we find gratitude? Do we find repentance? Do we find an acknowledgement of who God is? Do we find an awareness of who they are and a confession of their sin? Oh, no, we find them uh, raising their fist in the face of God in contempt and saying, we're going to do what we want to do. And so the Bible gives us the example that though they had been delivered from captivity, they would be delivered for destruction. And when Lot and his wife and their two daughters were leaving the city, God rained down eternal fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. An examination of the past, you say, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen, friend. God is gonna judge the wicked. He is going to deliver the righteous, and he is going to judge the wicked. We heard a message last Sunday morning from Stephen Trail on the reality of hell, and I want you to know there is a place called hell, and all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ will spend an eternity there. But friend, I want to tell you there's a place called heaven. And if you'll just simply confess to Jesus that he's the son of God, if you'll humble yourself and come before him and repent of your sin, I will tell you on the authority of God's word that he will save you. But if you harden your heart against his goodness and against his love and against his mercy, I want you to know that you will face an everlasting condemnation in an awful place called hell. But you don't have to go there. You only go there if you want to go there. You only go there when you reject God's word. And so the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org.